Welcome everybody to episode 45 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I would like to sincerely thank all the interviewees, listeners and the soccer public of the Illawarra, Australia and the world who download this podcast. Additionally, I'd like to say thank you to the people who contribute, comment and reminisce on the social media pages. If you have any photos, programs or newspaper articles, then please message me directly on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter so we can display them to the public. Matthew Bailey started playing junior soccer with Russell Vale Junior Soccer Club in the mid to late 1980s from under 7s through to under 10s. Matt's proficiency on the field saw him selected in the under 11s Illawarra representative team. After a couple of seasons here, Matt moved on to the Junior Wollongong Wolves representative teams from under-13s through to under-16s. Where the support of his family was immense, his footballing talent evolved and lifelong friendships were formed. He then joined the NSL youth team with the Wollongong Wolves for three years in the latter part of his teenage years. The team was always strong and Matt thoroughly enjoyed his time with the Wolves, in particular the football opportunities it afforded him. After the Wolves, Matt then entered the Illawarra Premier League with the Phil Carr coached Northern United in 1999. It was a great year as they won the league and Matt was playing at a club where his dad was involved and where he played amongst mates. In the next few seasons, Matt played with Kemblawarra, Western Suburbs, Port Kembla and Cringilla Lions. At these clubs, Matt played under great coaches in Fleming, Gaffney, Alston and Glover and he significantly contributed on the field with quality teammates. Additionally, Matt was awarded Illawarra Premier League Player of the Year in 2002, won the league and grand final double with Paul Kembla and played regular finals football. In 2005, he joined Bulleye Football Club under Alan Mangles. It was here where he spent three very good years and in the latter two seasons he was coached again by Adrian Alston. In 2007, Matt's stellar season was rewarded with a second Player of the Year award, now named the George Naylor Medal. In 2008, Matt pushed himself personally by joining the Wollongong Wolves in the MPL under John Turner. This year was important for many reasons and it was fascinating to hear Matt describe this season. After off-field decisions in 2009 reshaped the Wolves, Matt rejoined Bulleye FC for a season. He performed well that year and enjoyed the club, but the desire to perform at the MPL level meant that Matt joined Robbie Stanton Sutherland in 2010. At Sutherland, Matt immensely enjoyed his football, Robbie the playing group and the club slash facilities. Team accolades followed, but this stint for Matt meant more than just the trophies. It was pushing himself, the delight of thorough preparation during the week and enjoying time with the family on game days. Next, Matt went back to Bull IFC and enjoyed a great couple of years at the club under Ben Smith in 2012 and 2013. The next year, Matt again rejoined the Wolves to give back to the club that had given him so much. A huge highlight in this year 
was the FFA Cup tie versus Central Coast. To hear the personal pride Matt exudes in captaining the club and sharing this moment with so many in the Illawarra was a high point for me. After retiring from playing, Matt had five fantastic years at Bull AFC, firstly as a youth grade coach and then as a first grade coach. What he has achieved is amazing and speaks volumes of his abilities as a coach and aligning himself around great people. The conversation around breaking Bulleye's first grade grand final hoodoo was beautiful to hear. From my perspective, the interview spoke to me about Matt's perpetual determination to push his playing and coaching talents as far as he could, the friendships he has developed over time, and the amazing support of his wife, parents, and his children. Publicly, I would like to thank Matt for interrupting his Sunday afternoon so I could interview him about his journey. I hope you take pleasure in this interview as much as I enjoyed recording it. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here on a beautiful Sunday in COVID-19 surroundings in my home, uh, isolating. And on the other end of the line, I have a very special guest in Matthew Bailey. Matthew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Travis. Thanks for having me, mate. Really appreciate it uh, in these interesting times. Yeah, and I sincerely appreciate you uh, giving up your time on this Sunday afternoon when you could be uh, spending it with the family. There's a bit to get through, uh, even though you were born in 1980, or only of the young tender age of 40, um, you have achieved and played um, at several clubs, so so there's a bit to get through. So we, we might as well start at the beginning. What sure. was your first memory of football? Uh, first memory of football, it was, it was actually interesting to do this exercise with you uh, a couple of weeks ago and actually start to list some stuff down, which certainly generated um, some really good memories. And yeah. when I actually reflected, um, you know, my, my first memory of football is certainly... Uh, Russellvale. I went to Russellvale School, um, public school. I lived in uh, in Wanuna, so on the border of Russellvale and um, and Wanuna. Yep. Uh, and we happened to be closer to to Russellvale Soccer Club. So uh, under sevens back then, uh, it was full field. So we had um, eleven little fellas running around with lots of open space and, uh, and big goals. And yeah, having heaps of fun. So I still remember um, some of my teammates that I played with back then and. Um, that was my first uh, real memory of football. Like I said, it was um, a long time ago, but still something that, um, when I actually reflect, it's um, something that I, I can uh, I can remember. And and Russellvale for people who are not uh, from the area, it's north of Wollongong, and uh, Russellvale played at Corley Park. Is that right? Corley Park, mate. That's correct. Yeah, yep. still in operation. And the colours of Russellvale Soccer Club when you played there? So they're still the same, mate, to this day. Actually, I've played a few games with the uh, the amateur uh, over-35 team uh, in the last uh, few years, and they're, they're green, green and white, and yep. they've been that way since, um, since I was a junior. For you, in that first organised soccer matches with Russellvale Junior Soccer Club, under-7s through to under-10s, are there coaches that stick in your memory, players or, or games that still still are left in your memory? Um, not so much, uh, not so much players and, and games because uh, I just seem to remember um, uh, the different dimensions of junior soccer today as, as what junior soccer was then. So certainly yeah. the big pitch, 
was something that um, was a very different proposition to watch him play now. But I do remember one coach, Ian Funnel was his name. I actually grew up with his uh, with his son, uh, yep. Shane, and uh, he coached me for a few years in that Russellvale uh, set-up. And he's a guy who I still, when I see him now, I ran into the park uh, probably about three or four months ago and, you know, we had a half-an-hour conversation. Um, like, I'd, I'd uh, been catching up with him every three months for, for 20 years. So he was <laughs> one that... Um, Certainly played at a decent level. He coached in uh, the local leagues. It was one that, um, uh, yeah, certainly helped shape the uh, the early part of my career. And friendships made with fellow players. Uh, are there still friends today that you played with back then? Certainly, because uh, I guess it was uh, the team was born out of, um, of guys you went to school with, and yep. all of us have got a handful of people that we went through um, uh, public school and primary school and into high school with, and uh, and unfortunately you don't remain friends with all of them, but. Um, there's some that I do sort of still um, you know, hang out with today and, and, and remain you know, the best of friends. So it's funny that we sort of uh, started out playing together. We've, we've moved uh, to different clubs or played at different levels through the course of our, um, our football journeys, but we certainly still remain friends after um, you know, first kicking a ball back at under sevens in uh, 1987, I think it was, a long time ago. And who are some of those guys that you're still uh, catching up with these days? Uh, guys I used to play with, so uh, Jason Papak, Marcel Van Tol, uh two of the guys that sort of still uh, remain good friends of mine. Um, yep. Other guys certainly uh, in the team I, I, I do see, but not see as regularly. So they're sort of two more of a, a closer closer mates than um, than some of the other guys. But yeah, I think two out of uh, a team of, of a level or two back then is uh, is pretty good. We'll go to it later on, but sure. is it a nice life circle moment that at the end of your career in the last two or three years that you got to play uh, with the Russellvale Club again, although in amateurs, but still with friends and, and other people you've played with? Yeah, mate, look, it's a, it's a good point. It's, uh, it's been a, um, you know, football's always uh, been fun of mine for me and a very important part of my life. But uh, sort of the middle few years there, it's always quite serious and a lot of focus on, uh, you know, um, success and winning and things like that. It was really nice to go back and play with the Russellville boys and some of, some of which that I went to school with and others who played at different levels and even some who have never really played the game too much and, uh, and just do it in a real social setting. So I must admit it was, um, it was good to go back to the circle and, and have to those boys, yes. In those early years when you first started playing, I guess most of us in the Illawarra and, and elsewhere in the NPL would know you as a, a dynamic and skillful midfielder. Were you playing in the midfield in your junior days? I think... Um, I don't think I uh, wavered too much in the, uh, the attributes I brought to the game, um, Trav. I didn't really do a lot of uh, defending in, in the middle part of my career, in the main part of my career. I don't remember doing a lot of um, tackling or defending um, in the early part either. So I've, I've still got clippings. Um, uh, when, um, when my dad died a couple of years ago, mum put me on a lot of uh, clippings from junior days of Illawarra juniors and even Russellvale and, and things like that. And, um, you know, there was always, uh, you know, goals being scored and, and, and things like that. So it was sort of um, uh, in my uh, in my makeup from early in the piece, I think, to play more towards the uh, to the goal we're attacking than the goal we're defending. For yourself, were you born with a, a set of skills? Uh, I know, I've seen you play uh, many a time, and and you are very skillful, great passer of the ball. Um, read the game very well. Did you have that inside you or, or did you practice it a lot as a as a kid? It's a good question, mate. I think it's um it's one that I'm trying to work through at the moment with uh, obviously I've got uh, three children, a 
a six-year-old boy, a, a four-year-old girl and a, a two-year-old boy. And um, it's something that my wife and I talk about a little bit. You know, my um, my old man was a cricketer and a, and a rugby league player. So um, not in soccer at all, very different mm. type of, um, you know, uh, physical kill, skills and, and hand-eye coordination in those games to to soccer. So I think, um, I think you certainly are born with a natural ability in some sense. But I, I think in the game uh, in this day and age, I think... Um, uh, work ethic and and uh, and work rate and things like that are as um, important as as natural skill. I think natural skill doesn't get you um, to a high level and sustain you at a high level anymore. I think you certainly need to have um, you know that strong conditioning and fitness and work ethic um, and the right attitude to, to do it. So um, yeah, I think some kids you see now certainly have a good um, natural ability. My son in the backyard loves the game because I've been around coaching and playing and he sort of watched that. And I think that's why they transition into doing. You know, something they know or something that uh, you know their family or a key figure in their life has uh, has sort of um, guided them into. But um, yeah, I think it's a funny one. I think um, I think you certainly do take a bit on from your from your parents and yep. uh, and the like. But I think for most part, it's, it's the work you put in is is where um, where you get the results. And in 1990, you were selected in the Illawarra representative team uh, in under 11s. How did this trial come about, and and was that an objective of yours to then try and get selection in one of these type teams? It's um, as part of the, the reflection for this, I, I had a bit of a think about that, and I, I can't really recall to be honest. I don't think hmm. I ever had any aspirations. Um, like like I said, my old man was quite competent in cricket, played at a good level, and um, uh, and was quite competitive in his sport. But um, I'm not too sure how it came about. I think. Um, uh, I was quite handy in uh, at football in, in sevens, eight, and, and nines, and um, I remember you know winning a couple of best and fairest awards and, um, and and leading goal scorers. That's when they used to give that sort of stuff out. This day and age, they sort of just give more participation awards yeah. than um, than individual recognition awards. So I think on the back of that, I think there might have been um, uh, coaches around then who were sort of um, dropping into clubs and encouraging people that um, sort of were demonstrating a little bit of ability to. Um, to align with um, the representative team. There was no uh, rules in those ages back mm. then. It was the Illawarra Association. So, um, yeah, I just think that we sort of thought that might be something that was good. And um, lo and behold, I was lucky enough to get um, selected in that first team in, in under-11s. And we all know um, of people um, or have been involved in those situations whereby parents are a huge support, especially Back in those days, Illawarra travelled to Sydney quite a lot or down uh, down south. So for yourself, do you reflect now as a parent to see what sort of work that your parents did to support you in, in playing representative football? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really uh, appropriate question. I think that's something you don't realise um, until you get uh, to, to be an adult, the amount of um, sacrifice and effort your parents put in for you on, on all fronts, mate. Not just football, I think... Uh, you know the fact that they and back then we were, we were doing another training two days a week, not mm. um, you know not three like they do at the moment. So mm. certainly um, uh, two nights a week and a and a away game every second week is a massive commitment. With um, you know I have two brothers as well, so um, my old man never missed a game, was always at every training session. So you certainly do look back with with your own kids now and realise maintaining a household, um, you know having a full time job, supporting a family, and also. Um, you know, uh, supporting your, uh, your children's um, uh, sporting or drama or, or other aspirations um, takes a lot of uh, self-sacrifice. So I think, yeah, I'm not noticing now with the kids getting to an age where 
they're wanting to actively be involved in things. It's um, it's certainly tough to manage everything, definitely. So, do you recall anything from from those two years in the Illawarra representative teams in in under 11s and under 12s? Yeah, I do. It's sort of it was funny. So 11s to, to right through to 16s, even though the first two years were only uh, with Illawarra, and then we sort of converted to the Wool on Walls banner in that under 13s. The guys I played with uh, in those years um, are still. Uh, names that you know most of you, you would know um, uh, very well, uh, and guys that I still connect with, be it through football, be it through coaching their their kids, be it through playing against them or yeah. uh, or bumping into them quite regularly now. And when we do catch up, it's like um, you know we reminisce very uh, very fondly of um, you know the games or the memories or the teams or the players we played with against <laughs> and. Um, that was certainly uh, probably some of the best um, memories of my career in those uh, junior representative ages because the pressure of, of winning and the focus on, on outcomes is not so um, prevalent there. It's more around the uh, uh, you know, team environment and the engagement and development of players. And that's, um, we had a pretty handy group uh, back then and uh, we were lucky enough to win a few uh, of the uh, NPL titles in those junior days. And that was sort of, what bonded us as a team. So, yeah, some really good memories and uh, some really good players I played with. And who are some of those players, if you can recall, that you did play in those those squads over those few years? Yeah, for sure. So, the guys like the top of my head, um, you know, Michael Sandlab, who played the game at a high level and, um, you know, is, is still involved in the game locally. Paul Dimmich, yep. um, another guy who played for Paul Kimber many years and whose son's doing quite well now. Um, you know, Matt Whalen was a goalkeeper for many years and, uh, now he gives back as a uh, as a fantastic physio who's who's leading uh, the field with regards to you know his involvement in football, yeah, um, through the walls and through yeah. the walls. Exactly. So he was part of the team. Guys like uh, you know Victor Custable and yeah. and Ricky Aguilera and uh, Christian Zelvis and and then further to Chad Bishop and guys like that. Uh, you know, so some really really good names and guys who um, were quite successful in the Premier League over a lot of years. That transition from under-12s, where it was Illawarra, and then in under-13s to Wollongong Wolves, where the umbrella was changed. Um, yeah. For you and, and the other teammates that you had, was it exciting for you guys to then have the Wolves colours on and, and be part of the NSL setup in a sense? I think it was, mate. I think that was when uh, we had a, a National League playing out of um, out of Brenner Park. Yeah. And we used to play for the club. Uh, on the on the Saturday morning for our relevant age group, and then we'd um, obviously go and watch um, the home games at um, at Brandon Park Stadium with um, you know eight ten thousand people watching the first team, and, and you know them being on SBS and things like that in those days. So I think the the ability for um, for people to aspire to play for the first grade team was certainly very high back then. Um, they were a very uh, strong team. They had um, you know towards the end of the nineties had a couple of years where they won. Um, the, the league and, and grand finals and things like that. So it was a disappointment when the A League came in and lost the Wolves. Obviously, the A League's been quite successful, but I think um, the Wolves, when I was coming through, it was fantastic because we actually had, um, you know, a, a national league team to aspire to that was yeah, in the region. Definitely. So the career path was very supportive. The players like you know Chippers and, and Paul Reed and Albert Checkley and those sort of guys. In that period as well, you were there from under 13s to under 16s. Yeah. So you're in that Wolves setup. So was it a easy decision for you to then try out for the the youth team when it came about? Yeah, I think it was. Um, I think it was every uh, one of the boys' um, dreams or aspirations to to progress, um, you know, into the the next level, which was a step up. You know, the age group was was much broader. It was sort of mm. 
uh, under under 19s, under 20 type thing, yep. uh, playing against teams not only in New South Wales but also um, you know, interstate, the likes of Brisbane and Newcastle and away trips were um, you know were something that were uh, fantastic for the boys who were in that fight. But um, some of the boys you know made the step to, to AIS and New South Wales Institute of Sport. I thought then the career path. Um, was pretty strong for um, the development of players back then. Uh, you look at the guys like um, you know Brett Emerton and, and Harry Kuehl and Vince Grell and all those sort of guys were were coming through the um, uh, the AIS and around that sort of same age as myself. So they're yeah. sort of guys we played against, um, you know, in the in the league for the Wolves. And again, we had a fantastic side for two or three years in a row. There we had um, Robert Hernandez as my first coach there, and, and yeah. Stuart Beattie um, for a couple of years after that. And you know we managed to make a couple of um, you know, national youth league finals and, and the grand final one year, you know, against the uh, yeah. So the memories of that are certainly fond. And again, it was in that environment with the uh, with the first team. So the professionalism around training and um, and travel and logistics and preparation and things like that was uh, was quite good for um, you know for, for, for young kids to develop in those days. And Robert Hernandez, who you spoke of in the last few few seconds, how was he as a coach, and and what what did he do to develop your game? So he had, uh, I think, the last year or two of um, uh, of me as a, as a 15, 16 year old, and then um, was uh, obviously demonstrated his, his ability, and, and then got the the gig for a year at the uh, at the, the national youth league level. Um, so he was a prominent player, mainly a striker, and, yep. and I guess one that could sort of um, help with my game a bit. In, uh, in that was an area in which I played, um, you know, on the pitch as well. So. Uh, yeah, he certainly was a, uh, a coach that I remember remember fondly, and we had some successful years, particularly in those um, in those uh, junior days. And and Stuart Beattie that you spoke of as well, who is widely known in this Illawarra area, and and back in Scotland as a professional player and has coached here successfully as well. How was he as a coach? Yeah, look, he was probably my first. Uh, uh, top level coach that I had, you know, not uh, uh, no disrespect to any of the junior coaches that I had. Mm. I think when we moved into uh, the, the youth setup with Stewie uh, for that first year, I think um, everyone realised it was a um, you know a step up in in quality from you know, from sessions to session structure to to training and all that sort of stuff. And uh, obviously, Stewie's played at a very high level um, overseas and and, and boys through to Australia and. Um, you know, having coached uh, quite successfully in the local league for a number of years pre and post in alignment with the Wolves. So, yeah, he um, he certainly brought a different uh, element of, of professionalism and, and discipline to the game. And we had uh, we had some success under Stu in that uh, used to be set up for a couple of years, which, um, again, helped sort of um, shape you know, how I, I evolved as a player. Because when you did make that Wolves youth grade set up, you were in the, the younger age category, you said it was under 19s and you were age 17 when you first played. So how did you yeah. encounter the physicality of the game? It was a it was a steep learning curve. I think um, sometimes now we restrict it a little bit with, uh, you know, talented kids playing up at an age or being exposed to a, a tougher environment. For me, it was um, probably exactly what I needed. You know, you, you, do, you dominate or, or you're quite successful in, in your own age group. But when you mm. go into that more broader um, group, you, you quickly realise that um, you know there's a lot of uh, talent and ability out there, and that was certainly the case for me. So um, I think uh, you know you have to earn your stripes. The first year, uh, I think I was uh, I featured on the bench a little bit, got a few games here and there, but certainly had to demonstrate my worth to to the group. And, and when I was prevented with a, an opportunity, um, taking it. But um, you know we always also used to have 
uh, four overage players yeah. from the uh, the first grade squad come back and um, and play in that youth team squad for fitness for um, you know returning from injury or suspension or or they'd simply been dropped from the first grade side. So um, straight away out of our squad, there was probably uh, you know four to six players every week that either either wouldn't um, uh, wouldn't be in the travelling party or mm. wouldn't get uh, a shirt for that game. So yeah, the first year sort of made you, you knuckle down and put your head down and, and work hard and. Um, you know, earn your spot, and that's what um, everyone had to do. And was there in that period where in the youth grade setup that you did mix occasionally with the first graders? Obviously, four four players came back and played um, to get game time and keep match fit. But apart from that, did you ever get the opportunity to to mix with the first grade team? For sure, um, it was uh, something that um, you know the coaches that um, were there in the first team, so Ron Corey and Nick Theodorakopoulos. Yep. Um, we're always quite big on, and um, you know we certainly got exposure to the boys. The boys were very welcoming of, of the youth team players. All of them uh, knew us by first name, and uh, we'd certainly interact um, uh, from time to time. But they always, you know, would certainly have the, uh, the home set, the training. They'd have, uh, you know, the pick of the, uh, the setup of facilities and things like that, because obviously that's what you aspire to when you make the top grade. That's where you know you've made it during your stripes. But yeah, yeah. look. Um, the likes of Matt Horsley and, and Stuart Young and uh, in those days Michael Redder, Sunny Seven, Neil Harlock, yep. um, those sort of guys we, we knew well and I sort of still interact with now over um, social media or if I do see him in person. So, yeah, it's um, uh, all part of the uh, the, the memories of, of those early years of the Wolves. And you were there in the late 90s when they were ascending towards the their best era and, and dominating the NSL. So do you look back and think how lucky you were to be a part of it as the entire club and you being in the youth grade team? Yeah, look, without a doubt, mate, I think um, they're some of the, the fondest memories I do have um, uh, as, a, as a player. Um, I think that's probably the highest level that I got to play at in my uh, in my junior career. And I think, yep. you know, the opportunity that was afforded to a lot of us then helped shape, um, you know, our, our transition into to local Premier League and, and State League and things like that. Uh, very well, you know, it sort of exposes to the standard and the level and intensity that um, you need to um, uh, to be at to make it as a as a footballer. And uh, you know, a couple of guys um, come out of there, you know, Sean Lab and, uh, and and, and Millay and yep. uh, Paul Reed and guys like that come through those environments and the groups here and progress to the point where they made a, a really solid career out of their football. So the breeding ground of the walls and the, and the structure and the setup was. Certainly, one that was um, uh, you know well well known and acknowledged um, you know across the country. I guess. And even though we will talk about your coaching career and and your thoughts on on your time with Bulleye, um, and sure. you've just rejoined um, the Wolves in a SAP capacity as a coach this year. But do you think it's it is a, a negative for us as an area that we don't have that NSL or A League pathway because? It must be detrimental to us as a footballing area that we don't have what you had in in those late nineties. Um, yeah, look, I, I think um, I think it's fairly accurate. I think if you look at um, a lot of the juniors now, and I'm not too uh, uh, in with the detail of the current setup of, mm. um, of, of the junior arrangement with the Wolves and um, and football South Coast, but a lot of our quality kids, um, you know, are playing in Sydney or are playing with Sydney or. Uh, Sydney FC or Western Sydney or all those sort of teams and they're doing that because um, the career path for those uh, junior teams is obviously um, uh, a progressive step into uh, the first team or, or the A-League side so most of the good players at a, at a certain age group down here do transition into those yep. 
um, you know, Sydney uh, Sydney group. So for me, it would have been great. I'm not sure, um, uh, you know, if, if we have the ability to um, to, to have a, uh, an A-League side um, in Wollongong, but I'd love for it to, to be the case. I'd, I'd certainly, as a local football fan, support it and, and go to games and, uh, you know, take my family along to, uh, to align with it. But I think from a, a Wolves perspective, then having um, a side in the National League back in those days certainly helped with the quality and standard of both the local Premier League, of the mm. junior teams, of the players that were, that were in the region because it was one that everyone wanted to sort of come and be a part of a, um, a club or an area that was so successful. And at, in 1999, you then went back to Northern United, who for the listeners that aren't in the area was a merged club um, a couple of years before this or, or a few years before this of Coromel Rangers and, and Russellvale, who played out at Memorial Park. Was that decision to join Northern United based on you finishing up in the youth grade and, and not progressing on to first grade? Um, yeah, yeah, I think it was. It was. Um, it was. Uh, I've sort of played with them. So in the, with the Wolves, it was a summer national league competition. So uh, I'd actually had the ability to play a few games with Northern United in the previous seasons. Um, so I went back. Um, I finished with the Wolves at the end of. Uh, uh, the previous year, and then went across yep. to to Northern United. As you say, it was the merged club between Russellvale and um, and Coromel, and effectively, um, it meant that I, I wasn't transitioning to the first team of the Wolves. A couple of boys um, uh, got an opportunity to get a uh, a contract in the first team, um, and certainly had another year or two in that group uh, before either, either picking up a, an ongoing gig or, or reverting back to a state league or a Premier League yep. club. But for me, it was certainly. Um, you know, a fantastic time and, and um, one that um, made me a, a, a lifelong fan of the Wolves. You know, it was certainly, um, uh, they looked after me for a long period of time and, you know, to, to make the National League um, first grade squad, you have to be a, um, a top quality player and uh, and that was sort of the crossroads for me to, um, you know, transition back into the local league after, uh, you know, a number of years at the Wolves. It wasn't easy to do, but it was, uh, it was just a reality at the time. And what do you, you think... Um... Matthew Bailey back then thought of that transition. Were you slightly disappointed, um, which which we, which is natural, or did you think, yeah. well, the quality of players that were there, it was always going to be a, a slight chance that I'd transition through to first grade? Look, I think I always had aspirations. I think we had a really good side uh, in those National Youth League days. But if you look at the side, as I mentioned you know, a lot of times before, um, there's probably you know one or two spots from a promotion um, perspective for the young guys into that first team group. And you look at the first team back then, um, you know, they had, uh, you know, New Zealand internationals and Socceroos and, and things like that. And uh, from my perspective, it was certainly great to work with them and learn off them. But um, yeah, I, I don't think it was a, a difficult thing for me to, to realise that, um, you know, that wasn't the, that wasn't my next move. So it was, it was one that I had to sort of adjust to pretty quickly and, and disappointment, I don't think, was it. I think the reality of it was uh, was relatively clear. So it was just a, a transition back to Northern United, and and my um, my old man at the time was was on the board at Northern United. So it was a bit oh, okay. of a, a sort of seamless move. That year in 1999 with Northern United was an extremely good year. Um, the league championship and uh, a grand final appearance. Uh, I think he's went down to Port Kembla in the grand final, but. I've expressed my opinion personally and on this podcast before that I think uh, league championships are, are more desirable. Um, but mm. it must have been uh, satisfying for you to transition into senior football in the local league and and win the league. Yeah, look, that that's um, that was one of my uh, 
fondest memories as a uh, as an adult footballer, I guess you could say. Um, it uh, it was guys that, um, as I said, my my old man was part of the club for a number of years, so I knew all the boys from when I was a, a young fella and, and ball boy and doing that sort of stuff yep. uh, very well, and then sort of the transition as a 17, 18 year old into that first grade setup, and um, all of a sudden be playing alongside you know the likes of. Uh, Jason Wenig and Stuart Glass and Ron Hill and Cortellini and Jamie Dummett and guys like that yeah. who had played the game at a, at a really good level for a long period of time. Some of those guys for um, you know national league level, um, you know, it was a fantastic side. And Phil Carr back then was a um, old school coach. I don't think yeah. I've ever been um, a sit in my life as I would have been in <laughs> in that particular year. You know, we had a very um, specific game plan and. Um, we execute it really well. I think if you look at some of the sides in the Premier League um, uh, that year, there were some really well-funded and um, and high-quality squads out there. And um, I think you know we often reflect over a beer or when we catch up with with any of those boys. That um, we were probably the lowest-paid uh, team in the history of the Premier League at the time, and um, and to go on and, and and win the league championship, and then unfortunately go down to as you say Port Kembla in the grand final. It was a it was a massive year. We had our reserve grade side in the grand final. I think maybe from memory, our, our youth league team was in the grand final as well that day at Brandon Park. So it was a it was a massive celebration, and I still remember trip away and and everything on on the back of that um, that year with Northern United. <laughs> well, uh, like you said, I, I think it's one of those league championships that is highly underrated. Uh, you know, you look at Lysart, Paul Kemba, Cringilla, yeah. the White Eagles at the time. There was some super strong teams like you said, with budgets far greater than Northern United's. And, and you guys, after playing each other twice, were definitely the better team. Yeah, that's think Paul Kimball were a fantastic side. You know, they had uh, a number of guys that were um, transitioning out of the, the National League at the time, you know, like sort of Raven Mello and uh, Beltrami. And then, you know, Mineo and, and those sort of guys were were uh, in, their, in their time then. So uh, I remember they... Uh, they certainly got the better of the grand final, but yeah, through the course of the uh, of the league season, we uh, we come out on top, which was fantastic. And at the end of that season, uh, you've spoken that it was a, a very fulfilling season for many reasons: the link with your dad, and and coming back and playing senior football, and and doing well and playing with those players. Yeah. So, why did you make the move in two thousand to Kemblawara under John Fleming? It was a, a good opportunity. So, the side that they were pulling together down there was. A uh, really strong one. Some of the boys in that Northern United setup uh, had departed, not all. Yep. Um, and it was sort of an opportunity to relink with some of the boys that um, you know I played with previously at representative level, Mitchell Blows and Dominic McKeel and, yep. and Paul Gaffney and guys like that. So um, through our time at the uh, at the Wolves, you develop lots of uh, friendships throughout the region. So it was yep. good to sort of um, you know align with some quality players in uh, in that move to Kimberley. And how did you find your season there in 2000 under John Fleming and and at a Portuguese club as well? Yeah, it was good. It was um, a very welcoming and, and very accommodating club. It's disappointing to sort of see where they are now. They had um, you know good crowds, good good backing from the Portuguese community, and um, the club after games was always um, you know a good place to go for a, a feed, a few drinks, and, and from family and friends' perspective, they always uh, were very accommodating with uh, with all elements of that. And like I said, we had a Fantastic side. Glenn was a no nonsense coach. He was one that, um, you know, similar to Takari, he was uh, um, very clear in his expectations and, and, and his game plan. And, um, you know, if, uh, if players um, didn't uh, align to that or live up to that, then 
um, there'd be no ambiguity in the message around uh, you know what they needed to do to get it right. So Tim was very successful as a player, as a coach, and um, yeah, a guy that I quite like. So at the end of that season, you you move again, and and this time to uh, another merged entity in Western Suburbs, who were. Uh, for listeners out of the area, a merged club um, of West Fig Tree and, and Unandera Hearts. Was that decision based on Kemblewara not wanting you anymore or you just, again, uh, assessing your, I guess, your options and then and taking up that option with Western Suburbs? Yeah, look, it's, um, on reflection in preparation for this uh, for this discussion, mate, it's, uh, it's, it's quite uh, apparent that um, through those years of early 2000s, I certainly did have a... A couple of clubs that I, uh, I moved in between, but I think um, uh, all of them were, were moves out of uh, uh, looking to sort of align with a quality group and yep. players that I had played with in, in the past and coaches that I had worked with. So, um, unfortunately, yeah, I did depart Kenmore in, in 2000 to move to to West, and uh, West had a few players that joined from the Northern United side that I had uh, been part of in 1999 and a couple of good mates in the uh, likes of, of Jason Wig and, and those sort of guys. Um, so that sort of was, was the joint reason. I've worked with Gaff at uh, the Wall, and I know Larry for a long time. So yeah. um, it, it sort of made the transition to that um, to that West team in 2001 pretty easy. And and how was Larry as a coach? Because he had had a, a stellar NSL career and and in the local local leagues as well, and and had been coaching for uh, several years successfully as well. How did you find him? Yeah, look, it's it's, it's funny to um, to reflect on different coaches. Larry was a um, a guy who understood the game extremely well, uh, but very different to uh, Phil Carr or John Fleming. He was very uh, uh, almost engaging with his with his strategy and his approach. He would consult with um, and uh, and have conversations with senior players around um, the opposition or, or our approach or um, elements of how we we shape up. So Larry was um, was good in that way, and that was a, um, a coaching style that I uh, kind of liked as well because it helped um, uh, you know the, the senior players have. Uh, you know, an element of ownership in uh, in the outcome of of our results. So yeah, Larry was was good. He um, he part of the club midway through that uh, those couple of years uh, and moved away to obviously now he's, he's in a stadium in Brisbane. But yeah. um, for the times he was in uh, in charge of West there and like you said, his career as a, as a player he's a he's a, um, a really top quality guy and and someone who I enjoyed working under. You had John Fleming and and Larry Gaffney. Do you think that past performance as a player? gives a bit of credibility to a coach or, or once you're in under that coach, you find out very quickly if they can or can't coach? Yeah, I think certainly um, to start with, uh, good players um, earn a little bit of a reputation or gain some integrity, but I think coaching is very different. I think, um, you know, you can certainly uh, initially live off your reputation, but I think mm. players quickly start to understand uh, your ability to, to, to lead a group or motivate a group or drive a group or or men manage a group, and that um, uh, is a very different um, element between playing and coaching. So I think certainly it gives you the skills and knowledge of the game, but um, there's other elements of coaching which I found pretty quickly are as important, if not more important, uh, when it comes to, to managing good groups of uh, players to successful outcomes. Just a sort of a weirder, weirder question from me now. At Western Suburbs, you had long sleeve shirts, um, I was always very jealous of that. I'm a, a long sleeve fan, um, but they had, you know, a home strip and an away strip, and you had the option of long sleeve. and And I'm pretty sure I recall you wearing uh, uh, a long sleeve uh, on a, on a couple of occasions. Did you enjoy that aspect to it as well? 
your um, uh, your analysis, mate, is on point. So uh, Les was uh, was really good in that area with, uh, with with clothing and apparel and things like that. So we certainly had some training gear. We had um, you know uh, tracksuits and things like that to wear the game, which was similar more to a, a representative type level club. And um, our kits were um, we had a home and away kit, and we had the yep. options of off sleeve and. I'm similar to you, mate. I'm uh, a little bit uh, into the fashion on the pitch, so uh, I opted for the uh, for the long sleeve option. So I had, um, and actually still have. You wouldn't believe it. I had it on uh, <laughs> maybe two or three weeks ago, having a kick around the backyard with my uh, with my little fella. So uh, he likes to put that mile of jerseys uh, every now and again. But it certainly was long sleeve, mate. So you've done well there. Well, that makes me feel very good that you still got it, and the club allowed you to have it. So you had um, at the end of the 2002 season with them, um, although you're not a person that spruiks themselves too much, but you you won the uh, Illawarra Premier League Player of the Year. What did you think about when you won that award, and and what does it mean to you now reflecting on that? Yeah, I think it's uh, when I won the award. Obviously, it's something that in the moment you think um, it's a fantastic individual achievement. It's something that um, uh, is recognition for you know the effort. Um, that you put in as a player, but um, I certainly don't think it um, uh, it uh, is positioned as highly as, as some of the other team moments I've had. Yep. You know, winning league championships and winning grand finals or winning cup finals and things like that. I think um, doing it with a team uh, or with teammates that um, you know you've worked so hard with for me is a little bit um, uh, more of, a, of an important milestone. But um, nonetheless, uh, you know, being 21 or, or, or just turning 22 um, at that time to win that. Um, trophy was something of a, of a massive honour for me and, and my family. I still remember my dad uh, when I did win it, um, actually been in tears at the uh, at the frat and the ceremony afterwards. And that was something that um, you know now he's no longer here. You, you never forget. So I think when you look at it that way, uh, it certainly meant a lot to me as a um, as a player, but to my family and and uh, and, um, uh, and certainly the club at the time, it meant a lot as well. And um, you know, I, I certainly um, was very proud of, of receiving that award and. Um, it sort of spurred me on to, um, you know, to keep going and, and keep progressing my my local uh, local career. In the next season, in two thousand and three, you went you were signed up by perennial powerhouse Paul Kemba, um, who yeah. were managed slash coached by Adrian Alston, former Socceroo. Did do you think the year that you had before meant that a club like Paul Kemba needed to have you on board? On the section, I think uh, back at the time, uh, Paul Kemba. I don't know the exact stats, but. Um, you know, and Emilio or, or Adrian Austin will be able to um, tell you exactly, but they won uh, a lot of titles. They had a lot of highly successful players. They had a lot of um, success as a club, and, and they were sort of known as a club who were uh, professionally run, who were um, of a high standard when it comes to you know the playing group and performance and things like that. So, um, and when Adrian Austin and, and Emilio, you know, ask you to sit down and recognise that you're doing um, uh, a good job and, and, and they sort of uh, would like you to be part of their club but um, it makes you sit up and listen. So that was the reason I moved to Port Kemba in 2003. It was one that, um, you know, back in, in those days, most players um, sort of aspired to to play for, for Port Kemba as, as being, you know, sort of premier club uh, in that era in the, uh, in the history. Yeah, I think from memory when I did a interview Emilio was some ridiculous statistic of four or five league championships in 10 years I think from 95 to 2004 and and probably six or seven grand final wins and and that year in 2003 was was uh one of their uh double years where they won the league and and won the grand final so for you um 
what do you recall of Adrian as a coach and some of the players you played with? Um, yeah, look, it was my first uh, experience with, with Nolly as a coach, and um, you know he's got a big, uh, big profile, and, and he's a very commanding um, figure. So for being I mean, in my very early twenties at the time, it was uh, a good step for my career to, to go and work under a guy who'd done uh, you know a lot in the game. Um, the squad was uh, was was fantastic. You know the, the players that we played with, the quality of our training sessions for me um, was almost like we were back at um, at, at the walls. You know, like some Mino Bonatic. Uh, Chad Bishop, um, you know Ian Pallari, Bob Cazzoli, as I said, the likes of you know Beltrami had been and gone. Um, I'm just trying to think of who else. Mark Troth was at the club back in those days. Paul Dimitch was there then. Shane McGurr was there then. Um, if you look at um, you know who's with the United Premier League, that was uh, probably yeah, one of the best um, Premier League. Side, yeah, Premier League side. I, uh, I played with mate, and everyone uh, was in sort of the prime of their career at that point in time. And I can remember that year we won the league by. A few points, and we obviously won the, the grand final, and um, no one could sort of get anywhere near us when we when we hit our straps, and it seemed to happen pretty uh, pretty regularly. And for you, was was that a sort of personally a, a great move that you took forward what you'd done at Western Suburbs, and and then moved into a, a premier team and, and contributed to the team being so successful? Yeah, I think that was a really uh, a good point in my career. You know, I. I I'd uh, made it, been a, a main contributor to to both of those titles, whereas, you know, at Northern United back in uh, 1999, I was more of a, a junior player and one yeah. who who contributed in some part, but um, certainly wasn't, uh, you know, one of the <clears throat> one of the main players. And I think, um, you know, Paul Kemmer that year, there was four or five of us who scored a lot of goals, uh, contributed heavily, and um, you know, was the reason why we were, were so dominant. So for me, when I look through your timeline and 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 how you had. Uh gone to a few different clubs um the yeah. the move in 2004 to go to Cringilla Lions um under Daryl Glover and, and Luby Markovsky um how did that come about because it seemed a bit strange for me yeah look it was um on reflection it was uh a little bit of an odd one for me too like it was a poor Kemmer side who were uh very very dominant and uh were very very dominant in the 2004 season uh, as well, um, you know, sometimes there's a number of factors that come into play uh, around why you, you take decisions and, and why yeah. you uh, move from club to club. I think, uh, you know, the, the the 40-year-old version of myself uh, might have might have put a bit of a reality check on me uh, on the 23-year-old version of of myself back then. But um, yeah, that was the move I, I sort of made. Again, it was to play with some players that I'd, I'd play with. Um, again, the likes of Mitchell Blows and, and Don McGill and Paul Gaffney and uh, there was a few of us sort of played at Kimberwara and played at that um, Grindula again together, and uh, yes, yeah, so I moved there in 2004. Do you feel lucky that um, in the Illawarra we have so many clubs that have ethnic origins that you got to experience a, a Portuguese club, an Italian club, mm. and and a Macedonian club? Do you do you reflect and look back that that you you, you moved around, but in in essence you you learnt a lot. You played with so many different types of clubs. Mm. Yeah, look, that's, that's how I looked at Trav, to be honest. It, um, it, it was great experiences for me. These clubs, uh, particularly the ethnic-based clubs, look after you unbelievably well. I, I couldn't have, um, you know, better things to say about uh, about Paul Kembler and Cringilla. Um, they brought me into the player, Cringilla, and, and looked after, you know, every aspect of everything. You know, they were great to my family. Um, the club were great to, to me, uh, you know, in all facets. And um, they're different uh, traditions. Um, you know, they're really generous people with, 
um, with everything about the ground and the food and, and celebrations yeah. and that sort of stuff. And uh, it's great to sort of, um, you know, still walk in the ground, uh, you know, 14 or 15 years later and, um, and, and have time and talk with, you know, the president or, or people who were associated with the club that um, knew me as a, as a player back in those days. And and what about the the coaches that year, Daryl and and Luby? Um, how did you uh, assess them uh, on reflection for this interview? Yeah, look, um, I still uh, I still connect with Luby uh, semi regularly. I see him around uh, town. He's obviously a prominent uh, local businessman, yep. um, and he was sort of supporting Daryl in those days. And Daryl coached a number of um, <clears throat> excuse me Premier League sides, uh, and was sort of brought in to take over. Cringilla, they uh, they had spent heavily that year, and they had uh, brought together a pretty handy side. So you know, there's lots of pressure on on Daryl and and Luby to to get results as it was on the players. Um, so yeah, it was uh, a good year. I think again, we had a, a good side. We finished um, high up the table, um, and uh, apart from obviously Port Kemba, I think we were we were second in the league, and it was a, a relatively successful season from you know, players and, and coaches. And so in 2005, you, you made another move to Bulleye Football Club, a, a very strong club in the northern suburbs and, and one that's uh, stood the test of time in terms of their committee especially and, and the work that they put in. So was it an easy decision for you to, to go there and, and play under Alan Mangles? Um, I think Bulleye has sort of my, or been my perennial home as a, as a player and, and coach. I always... Um, uh, had a, a sort of alignment to to the club. Kevin Love was the the main reason. Alan yep. was certainly the coach uh, who I knew quite well um, uh, and, and who knew my family quite well. Uh, but um, Kevin Love, who uh, I've known for a long time, and uh, again a family friend, was probably the main catalyst for me moving to Bulleye in um, in two thousand and five. I think it was from memory. Yeah. And um, you know the squad we had back then was uh, was transitioning to be a really strong squad. Um, and uh, Alan had it the first year. I think we made the uh, the five. Well, I had some yep. um, uh, some interesting years before that. Sort of dipped up and down between uh, between leagues. But from 2005 to you know sort of 2018, um, for me, they've probably been um, you know the most uh, effective uh, and, and achieved the highest performances of any uh, Premier League club when you're looking across the uh, across the board. And from a grounds perspective, you had two two seasons there. Where one you played at Cream Park, where where the Congilla Club have done a lot of work, and it's a great facility. And then you think it couldn't get better, but Balls Balls Paddock, uh, the new Balls Paddock, um, for some of the older listeners who who listen to this podcast from the South Coast United days. But those two facilities are, are outrageous for suburban football, aren't they? Um, look, yeah, I agree. I think. Um Got both fantastic places to watch. The surfaces, for the most part, are good, but they get a lot of traffic. You know, a lot, mm. lot of teams, women's teams, junior teams, uh, the Premier League uh, throughout the course of the year. But yeah, I think from an atmosphere perspective, both are uh, a really nice venues to watch uh, watch football at, and, and the surfaces for the most part of the year are, are pretty good at both venues. And and clearly, with with the the movement of clubs that you did have, you you obviously felt. Um, welcomed a bulleye, not that you didn't at other clubs, but to stay somewhere for, for three years in a row um, compared yeah. to your record before that, it must have been uh, a fulfilling experience in those three seasons at bulleye, um, not just on the field, but off the field as well. Yeah, look, I, I felt when the clubs that I played, but I, I sort of joined each club knowing, you know, more than half of the first grade sides in, in pretty much every scenario anyway. So, I didn't feel like it was a change in a lot of part. I had a lot of good mates. I still do 
from um, from football in uh, in the region. And uh, I think those years at the Wolves helped sort of um, shape friendships from guys who were from different parts of the region, which meant. Uh, you know, we sort of aligned at the clubs and, and, and knew each other from um, from past experiences. But yeah, certainly Bulli was was close to home. I've always, um, I grew up and I still live in uh, Wanuna. And yep. Bulli and Bulls Paddock is sort of a five-minute commute for me from uh, from home. So yeah, it was sort of sort of uh, from the board down to the Blaine group. It was one that um, you know, felt like uh, home and felt like a good fit for me as a as a player. And although we can we can talk about it later, probably near the end of the interview, uh, the organisation itself, um, the committee people, the life members at the club, they really do make you feel welcome, don't they? Yeah, look, I certainly do. It's a it's a professionally run club, and um, you know, for the most part, um, you know, it's reflected of the, of the results we've had over the course of um, you know the last ten or so years. It's um, uh, it's it's, it's uh, business driven and business run, and. Um, you know the, the decisions they make are more around sustainability and long-term viability for the club, uh, which is really important. You know, going year to year is is uh, what trips up some of the other clubs locally, mm. and um, that's not something that uh, that Bulli have um, have fallen victim to. And that comes down to you know sound uh, leadership and sound you know strategy from the club board perspective. And I guess for the people that aren't aware in the area, and what Matt was and myself were alluding to, is that Bulli. Uh, are a business in the sense that they have a, a daycare centre or a childcare centre run at their at their club and at their ground, which is a revenue stream, and and that's what we're uh, I guess alluding to there. Uh, in that 2005 to 2007 seasons, there you you had Alan Mangles first, and and then Adrian Alston. Was it good to connect with Adrian again when he came back in? Yeah, it was a little bit awkward, I guess, from uh, departing uh, Port Kembla when we were sort of at the peak of our powers and. Yep. Uh, you know, it's funny how um, uh, swings and roundabouts occur, and uh, and coach and player connected at different clubs uh, later in, in in each other's careers. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was good to, to rely on him. He certainly knew my game, and um, you know, he comes to Bulli with a, a very very clear mandate to um, you know bring a quality playing group and and, and bring success. And that was something that um, certainly happened. Uh, I think uh, we we're part of sort of three. Grand Finals in a in a row, pretty much uh, through those years with um, with, uh, with Noddy involved. But everyone knows that the Grand Final record for the club hasn't been fantastic over the last few years either. So we uh, unfortunately um, didn't uh, didn't win uh, any of those GS. But uh, again, we had uh, a really successful couple of years under under Noddy. And I think in that period there, there was a, a really a powerhouse club in in Dandaloo. So so they were uh, very difficult to to beat. Um, and, and break down for you at the end of 2007. Did you did you have a footballing itch because you rejoined with the Wolves um, in the NPL under John Turner? So for you, um, were you thinking, "Geez, I'd, I'd like to give it another crack," or or was it was that the thinking behind the move? I think I think it was. I think um, uh, if I if I look at now uh, the guidance I'd provide to to players, and I, I certainly did to some of the boys that I had it. At the walls, um, don't leave um, the run too late to mm. to push yourself and take yourself out of your comfort zone, and you know go to that state league level or transition to the best uh, the best player you can be. And perhaps I got a little bit um, uh, complacent in the Premier League for yep. four or five years. You know, I was um, uh, playing a part of winning teams. I was um, uh, you know quite successful as a player and. Uh, I sort of uh, liked the, the fact that I was, um, you know, a, a handy player in a 
in a relatively small pond. And I think um, after winning the, the Player of the Year trophy again in 2007 at, at Belay, which was, again, a fantastic individual achievement, but something I would have given up for um, even one of those those three grand finals. But um, it sort of it sort of gave me a little bit of a interest in doing that again. And the Wolves um, reached out and sort of said, you know, we'd be interested if you come down and had a look. And again, it wasn't um, a contract or it wasn't a... Uh, a guaranteed of anything other than to come down and uh, and be part of the side. And again, if you look at the makeup of that 2008 side, there was uh, three imports, you know, Alfredo Estevez and Balaconde and guys yeah. like that who were um, very handy players, likes of Ben Blake and, uh, and Daniel Cummins and, and Justin Pasfield and Michael Turnbull and guys like that. Like you look at the side, it was um, you know Steve Hayes and, and those sort of people. It was a fantastic um, time and yeah, it's a fantastic side. So to come in and um, you know, try and crack a starting spot was, was always going to be challenging. How long did it take you uh, mentally or inside yourself to realise that, hey, I'm capable here, I can contribute in a team sense and, and be part of this NPL, NPL setup? I think uh, myself, I knew I could I could do it from the outset, but I think um, committing John was was, uh, was the challenge. You know, he's seen he coach the National League and he was used to working with players um, of a very high-quality level. So... I don't think um, you know he really uh, was overly fond of, of the local Premier League, and he wanted okay. players to prove um, that they were state league level players before we play them. So I think it took me um, the pre-season, which I, I certainly worked hard in, and uh, a couple of rounds in the start of the season before he um, gave me a, a spot in the side. So I think it was maybe round three, round four. And yep. um, if anything, I look back now as, as John being a, a very influential coaching in my career and one that I probably wish I had a little bit in the piece who asked questions of me that no one else asked of me and uh, made me sort of push myself a little bit further and um, uh, and raise my game to a, a different level. So from that point, um, you know, that season was amazingly successful. We've gone from uh, sort of uh, mid-table or fourth off his spot to um, finishing one point behind uh, the league leader Sutherland and then going on to win um, the final series and grand final and now, that group of boys is probably the best off-field squad that I played with. We were so close. We uh, we spent so much time together on the pitch or on the training pitch, and, and also we we uh, associated very very well away from the pitch as well. So it was uh, it was a fantastic group. And it, again, it was down to the way in which John Turner uh, man managed and uh, and looked after you know, the way in which that group operated. So he turned out to be um, you know a, a fantastic. Um, uh, coach for me in, in in the course of my uh, my football journey, and and you said he he pushed you, John Turner. So can you give an example of of how he did that, um, whether it be on the training field or a one on one talk? How did he how did he push you further? Uh, I, I think a combination. I think he, he created scenarios where he wanted to uh, um, expose me to to, to different um, elements of, of of football problems to to improve. Um, you know, some of the decisions I was making, I was making decisions that might have been right for. Or effective in local Premier League, but weren't mm. um, to the standard in some sense that he wanted. And um, it's certainly uh, he'd done it through through one-on-one feedback. He'd done it through um, uh, tough decisions in, in games, substitutions, things like that. So uh, at times it pissed, pissed you off or annoyed you, but uh, mm. in in reflection, um, it drove you to, uh, to to push yourself and to be a better player. At the end of that season, you went back to Bulleye. Um, what transpired there that you went back to Bulleye? How do you reflect on that now? Yeah, look, it's a, it's, this is a, probably a, a disappointing part of the career for all the boys in that side. So unfortunately, 
uh, the end of that 2008 season, there were some challenges at the Wolves from a financial perspective. Mm. Uh, they couldn't retain the squad. They didn't compete uh, in, the, in the same league and they had to really reshape how the club um, operated. I think they went to a different uh, community-based operating model and yep. uh, the squad was basically um, you know, less than 5% of what it was the previous season. So, um, unfortunately, the boys uh, in, in pretty much every part had to sort of retreat to, to other clubs and uh, I sort of went back to Bawai as the club... Um, you know that I that I knew and uh, worked closely with um, uh, with them again for uh, for that particular year. And do you uh, at the time did you think, geez, uh, what's happening here? Although you're not aware of what transpired or what happened in, at an administration level, was it disappointing from a player that where you were so successful and personally you'd transitioned back into MPL um, successfully? Were you disappointed from an individual perspective? Yeah, I think uh, on reflection, I was. I think that team could have uh, could have won the league for a couple of years in a row. We just had such a quite, uh, tight bond, sorry, um, between the group, and we certainly didn't have the best um, squad compared to some of the other squads in the league. There were some fantastic squads, but uh, we certainly, um, you know, had the best uh, had the best bond, had the best work ethic, had the best discipline, and, and I think just the, the cohesion between the group was um, something that uh, you know that everyone was really disappointed about at the end of that season, but. Uh, Unfortunately, in uh, in football, uh, you know things go that way, and, and you sort of just have to deal with them and and, and move on. Which, as you said, it was uh, it was challenging, and disappointing at the time. Was it nice to have that um, safety net there of of the Bulleye Club? And I describe it as a safety net, is that you had three seasons there, the most that you'd had if anywhere as a senior footballer. So was it nice to to go back to a club and and sort of not have to start again? Yeah, I think it was good to, to go back. Um, you know, they were going through a bit of a uh, transition then. I think Adrian Orson was a coach and, and, and Ben Smith sort of took over around that time. I'm not exactly clear on, on, on uh, yep. um, the timeline there, but um, the club was the same. You know, the, the people that were part of the, um, the the board and the committee and the people who were around the club were um, were very consistent. So for me, it just made sense to go back and uh, and sort of give back to, to the club um, when I couldn't play that NPL level. After one season there, that the NPL called you again and, and was that again another desire for you to go, well, I had one year, it was successful, uh, let let me try it again because I want to I prove to myself that I can do it consistently? Yeah, it was nothing more than that, mate. It was, um, it was exactly that in uh, wanting to play at the highest level. In 2009, it happened so late in the peace trap that um, we, couldn't, uh, we couldn't regroup. Uh, yeah. other, other clubs at NPL level had already finalised their squad, so um, it made sense for me to go back to... To Bulleye, but the club sort of knew that um, I had aspirations to, um, uh, to to play at a, at a higher level if I could, and um, I think we made the grand final uh, and won the league maybe in two thousand and nine, but unfortunately got beaten. So um, we, we had a successful year from a from a Sutherland, uh, sorry, from a Bulleye yep. club perspective, and um, uh, the next year it was sort of um, the, the right time to, to to move on again. Yeah, was it difficult to? Yes, go to Sutherland, not in the sense of the club itself, but the logistics that would be involved, um, the training. Um, obviously, you're, you're a bit older. Um, you're entrenched yeah. in work, um, your relationships, your family relationships. So it was, was a harder decision in 2010 to go to Sutherland? Um, yeah, it was. So I was sort of, um, as you say, I was working in a, in a leadership role from sort of uh, mid to late 20s. And when I hit that 30 mark, uh, work was... Um, uh, was an environment that sort of needed my my focus and, and undivided attention, but I also had that um, 
desiring me to, to still push myself off, still fit, and still, uh, body was still feeling amazing. So I think uh, we got married in, in 2010, and we were holidaying in um, in uh, Europe, and uh, I got a, a call, or a number of missed calls from this number, and obviously when you don't have service and, and you don't have uh, your phone on international roaming and all that sort of business, I finally rang the number back, and it turned out to be Robbie Stanton, and he sort of... I'd almost given up hope. He said he'd been ringing for three or four weeks. And, um, you know, I had returned the calls. And I explained to him I was actually in Barcelona at the time. I think we are going to Barcelona um, the football that night. And um, so he understood. And I got back the week after and I had a really good meeting with the club. And, um, you know, the, the setup at Subway and the professionals of the club and the way in which they look after you for me is, is, is uh, again, sort of back at that um, uh, national national league type days with the yeah. Wolves. And uh, it was an easy decision for me to go. And there was a couple of boys there that I played with at the Wolves uh, in Chris Price, um, and uh, yeah, so the transition there and the commute uh, and travel to training and things like that was was relatively easy because uh, he's a good mate of mine. And and again, uh, another similar moment to I guess your junior career it was this time your partner who was I guess supporting you on the on the home front in in allowing you to fulfil this footballing desire to to put yourself forward at the NPL level. Do you reflect now and think uh, how lucky you were to? Have supporting family members in your life that that gave you these opportunities? Yeah, I do. I think um, I think they enjoy the football. I think the, the family now, like even even now, I coached up to the last year. Uh, the family come to the soccer. The kids come to the soccer. So back then, uh, my wife and uh, and my mum and dad would would come to every game. We played uh, a couple on a Saturday night at seven thirty, yeah. and uh, it'd be freezing cold, but they'd be always there <laughs> uh, watching. We sort of make a bit of a night and go for dinner or something afterwards. So. Um, yeah, it's certainly a sacrifice on their part, but I think um, you know the family we've still got to spend uh, lots of time together. But three nights a week uh, commuting to Sutherland is a is a big uh, a big effort. That's one that uh, three years are certainly worth it um, uh, with Sutherland. And and what about Robbie Stanton as a coach? Um, how does how does he operate from uh, uh, the new generation of coaches' perspective? Trav, I think yep. he would probably be the most proficient coach I've, I've worked with. Um, he uh, is now obviously working with Sydney FC and Steve Corica in as part of the uh, uh, the Sydney FC squad, and um, it's full credit to, to Robbie. I think at the time, Sutherland uh, in in those years, he was uh, going through the back end of his qualification, so he's going from uh, B license to, to A license. But yep. um, our sessions, the quality of the structure of the session, uh, the, the way in which he's evolved in sessions, we do uh, even video analysis on opposition and, and reflection mm-hmm. on our games, which was a level that I'd never seen. Um, uh, but he would put so much time and effort into his coaching and that, for me, come out in the quality of our sessions. And we had a fantastic side at Southern there. We, we, we won uh, some titles and we won a cup and things like that, which, um, again, demonstrated uh, the effort that, that Robbie applied. But the system we played, we played out from the back. Yep. We played a, a beautiful brand of football where, um, you know, we just dominated teams. And uh, that's where I really first learnt, um, you know, uh, if I was to make it as a coach or be successful as a coach, I'd have to adopt... Um, you know, a lot of lot of the way in which um, which Bobby worked in, in structuring his sessions and evolving his sessions, and um, and the way in which he managed that group as well. And although playing there in an NPL level and successfully at Sutherland under Robbie, were you formulating in your head that you were going to coach at some point and were taking some some notes? I guess I don't um, I don't think so. I think I've always been a, um, a, an avid learner of something I'm interested in. So. Yep. So being now, I could probably regurgitate um, half of Robbie Stanton's sessions for most years because I just thought <laughs> um, they were so fantastic. I was so engaged. I was so 
um, I was so on point and so involved in, in what he's demonstrating. I was learning so much. So it was really, really easy to uh, to absorb that information. And for me, I don't think I had any aspirations to be coach back then. I always thought I'd play the game forever. I don't think uh, you ever think retirement's coming or you ever think you're going to get too old to be able to run around all the fun that's actually in the face and you do. So um, I think that's when I sort of started to decide that um, uh, one day I might I might coach, but it certainly wasn't when I was when I was still playing. And for you, being in your early thirties and 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 being on that other side of thirty, was it was it um, a positive that you were doing all this travel three days a week, but you had those engaging sessions, and and that made it rewarding in a sense to to put in all that effort to get there. Yeah, I, th- I think it was. Mate. The club, like I said, was uh, was fantastic. You were playing on a artificial pitch, so one of the first clubs in the, in the state league to play uh, on the artificial surface, and it made training um, intensity and, and quality of the of the highest order. Our sessions were always on point yep. uh, because the pitch was immaculate. Uh, you know, a lot of clubs in the state league now have moved to uh, a synthetic, synthetic surface, and, and some of them are sort of uh, one of the leaders of the field, but, you know, the likes of, um, you know, Nick Stavalakis, George Suris, yep. Panny Nickis, and these sort of guys were part of that side, and uh, you know the, the uh, intensity in training and the competition in training was just uh, was fantastic. And again, to play with those guys uh, in that sort of system where we just kept the ball for long periods and some of the football we played, I look back and now reflect on was um, you know was 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 amazing to watch. So yeah. And the flip side of that, I guess, at home games, it's and training sessions, it's it's great that you can execute a, a plan and, and pass in a consistent manner. But how did you guys, or how did you personally find it playing away at, at grounds that sometimes weren't up to that surface or the standard of that surface? Yeah, I think in the, in the State League, there was a, a bit more of an um, expectation around quality of surfaces. So yeah. some of the clubs had to sort of move and play at larger grounds because the quality of surface wasn't wasn't that good. But uh, it was certainly an advantage. When we got to home, uh, or got to playing at home, um, with the slick surface, teams would sometimes struggle to adjust to uh, the, the speed and ball movement that we could uh, that we could deploy, and uh, it proved to be a, a massive weapon in our side. I don't think in two years we lost more than one game at home, and when wow. you know, you're playing, you know, uh, 24, 25, including finals, maybe 30 games in the course of those two seasons at home, that's a pretty um, uh, formidable record, and, and, and that was sort of the benefit of having um, you know that quality pitch to train and play on. And if we put our, uh, and we spoke about him earlier on in our interview, if we put our Matt Whalen hat on um, from a physio perspective, did you find your body sore playing on that surface or it just was par for the course? No, I think um, I talked to Matty about this quite regularly. There's different standards of these pitches um, that are that are put in place. And uh, I think that the top of the range one is very expensive. And Sutherland, I think, invested uh, in the infrastructure to, uh, to, to put in a, a top quality pitch, but certainly for the first month I went there, I remember my shins and my calves um, back into December or December and January was when we sort of um, were heavily involved in pre-season and yep. starting to play some games in the back end of January when it was really hot, the heat would sort of come out of the pitch and I'd find okay. my my uh, my uh, yeah, calves and, um, and shins really, really struggling to adjust to the, uh, to, to the surface and to the, to the heat that was absorbed. So there was a transitional period, but once I, um, I made that transition in winter, it was, um, it was amazing. And at the end of 2011, was it a case of um, personally you thought you'd proved everything you needed to do in the NPL and, and that's why you went back to, to Bulleye in 2012 under Ben Smith? Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's, probably, uh, that's probably it. I think um, you mentioned travelling to Sydney is a, is a big, big effort. 
Um, you know, we were sort of looking to start a family, which we did. Um, you know, that next year, there was a lot of factors that were, were sort of involved with that. And I had a good run. Right? I was sort of 32 um, and, uh, you know, I thought I, I'd achieved a lot and um, you certainly want to keep playing at a competitive level, but you also want to enjoy yourself as well. And, um, you know, committing uh, five days a week to a, um, uh, to, to a uh, prominent role at work and then also, um, you know, spending a full day of a weekend every every weekend um, away with football was uh, was sort of something I needed to, to reflect on and adjust a bit. So, yeah, I thought the time was right. Um, Robbie, Robbie was still there for another year after that before he moved across to Sydney FC, but yep. uh, I still speak to Robbie this day um, when, I, when I see him and obviously he's, he's really progressed with his football career. But, yeah, I moved back to, to Bulai and, and the family was certainly part of, uh, you know, the makeup of the club at the time. And Ben Smith, we know what he's done um, as a coach. Most of the Illawarra know um, what he has achieved and has been very successful. Uh, how did you find him? And, and I'm assuming that um, in your other uh, years that you were at Bulai, he was a, a playing peer as well or a footballing teammate. Yeah, look, he was, uh, he's was. he been very effective as a coach. He um, uh, came in on the back of, of Adrian Alston um, and really looked to change the, the, the playing culture or, and, the, and the social culture of the club. And I think um, it was probably a move for the better for the club back in... Uh, uh, in the time that he came on board, and he had a very successful uh, five or so years, I think it was, as as, as first team coach. So he had to come in and uh, build a side and and really uh, develop a, a way of playing football. And I think um, you know he certainly done that effectively. And if you look at um, his results he achieved with a, a relatively new playing group that he started with, is is uh, is pretty hard to argue with. You know, I think um, uh, he'd reflect on that period as a as a third, first grade coach very fondly. And I guess people who aren't from the Illawarra um, might not truly understand, um, I guess, the level of financial clout that some of the other clubs do have and, and the monies that they spend are, are far greater than Bulleye, although Bulleye do pay for players. So yeah. the achievement is is still of a, of a high nature when you consider that context as well. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, as we talked about, Bulleye quite sensible with regards to the um, the, the financial modelling for, for the football club and um, I think they position it to ensure that they have a, um, a, a strong squad but there's certainly a, an element um, you know, of wanting to be part of the club and wanting to play um, football and be part of the, the, the area. Um, you know, it's not a club you generally go to for one season. Um, it's a club that most of the players have been there for uh, an extended period of time and that's, um, that's still consistent uh, to, to this day. So I think... They are smart and sensible with that, and the coaches they've had over the last ten years um, have certainly uh, been been quite effective with um, with the budget they've been provided. And for you, after a couple of seasons there, and and good seasons in that, um, what brought about the the change in two thousand and fourteen to to go back to the Wollongong Wolves in in the NPL? I, I don't really know, to be honest. Uh, I, I I've, I've tried to sort of reflect. I, I remember having a number of conversations with Richard Lloyd, who was coach at the time and, and yep. someone who I'd, I'd uh, known for a long time and admired as a, as a player and as a coach and um, uh, yeah a lot of the boys were there I did know quite well you know Chris Price and, and Jacob Timpano and those sort of guys um, so for me um, yeah it was it was sort of the right time to, to help keep something back to the Wolves the Wolves were um, had a couple of lean years and were sort of looking to um, you know to, to build a bit of a um, or strengthen their side a little bit and um, get some players who, who um, uh, I guess, had a bit of football pedigree to help 
help with doing that, and I was more than happy to sort of be part of that um, that project. And was it an honour in that season to to captain the team? It was. Look, it um, it was a it was a, a fantastic year. We played out of Wynn Stadium. Uh, we had a fantastic group of guys. We finished sort of mid table in the uh, in the league, which was um, certainly a step up from from previous years. Obviously, not as good as, as 2008 when we when we won the league. It was a very different playing group. Uh, but to to be part of that uh, first FA Cup tie for the Wolves um, at Wynn Stadium against Central Coast in front of you know eight ten thousand people, whatever it was, um, was a fantastic night for for every one of those boys individually, and also um, you know for the club. It was. Um, Around the time when they were sort of pushing to to try and get some visibility around a, a possible um, A League big or A League inclusion, and the fact that you know eight or so thousand people rocked up to um, to support that game on a Wednesday night from memory after a week's worth of rain, it was uh, it was a fantastic occasion. You know, we had um, kits made for um, specifically for the, um, the the cup tie, which you know Central Coast Mariners versus the Wolves on it. We had um, umbro balls specifically uh, made for the for the FA Cup games. We had 20 balls delivered to training you know, a couple of weeks prior, so we could be exposed and and use the ball. So for, for the boys, it was a massive, um, uh, yeah, a, a massive occasion. It wasn't unfortunately selected as a, as a televised game at the time. Yeah. There was only, yeah. uh, I think, one, one or two games in that first um, uh, first year of, of the FA Cup that was televised. But um, the boys certainly, um, yeah, got a lot out of that occasion. And is it something that you? In years to come, we'll, we'll reflect uh, even more on that that amount of people, um, your captain, uh, the community emotion about you know the Wolves trying to get back into A League, and you were a part of part of that game. Yeah, look, mate, for me that uh, that was one of the biggest occasions that I got to play on. I played in a few um, uh, in a lot of Premier League Grand Finals, and I played in uh, you know a couple of state league titles in, in front of um, some decent crowds. But I think. Um, the occasion on that night was by far the, the biggest spectacle. You know, leading the team out on Wynn Stadium uh, next to um, uh, Montgomery was the Central Coast captain at the side yep. at the time, and they had, you know, a fantastic um, squad. They were they were prominent in the league back then. They were, I think, they played in the grand final against Sydney FC the year prior or or the year after that. So it was um, a massive occasion for the boys, and yeah, it was uh, something that I, I certainly won't forget. And the kit and the strip and. All that sort of stuff I've still got, uh, you know, in my uh, in my football cabinet. Jeez, uh, I want to get a look at this uh, this uh, football kit wardrobe you've got, mate. Um, it sounds pretty impressive. It's uh, it's it's one that um, it's it's in the bottom of our, our walk-in wardrobe, and it's uh, it's one that I wish I would have kept a little bit better. I've still got a lot of stuff in there, but there's some stuff that uh, I'll have to go back and and see if it's, it's still at, uh, at Mum's house. But yeah, I think it's it's good to sort of keep a little bit of. The gear where you can uh, where you can certainly fit it. The end of two thousand and fourteen, apart from um, your playing days at Russellvale in the amateur league, was was that your first grade or senior football retirement? The last game I played uh, was that uh, FA Cup game of the Wolves. Okay. So uh, for me, it wasn't a bad way to go out. You know, playing in front of a, a large crowd. I, I sat down and spoke to uh, the, the Wolves at the time, uh, Andrew Byron and. Noel Arata around going around again, and um, I sort of had to manage the body a little bit um, throughout the previous season. And I thought, um, you know, do I do I go around again and potentially have um, you know some longer term challenges with the body, or do I you know go out on a note like that? And I'd spoken to Smitty about uh, doing some coaching with Boy at some point, and 
um, so I sort of thought the timing was right. And now, um, you know, five years down the track, my body is as good as it's ever been. I still feel fit. I still surf and run and, and, and I'm quite active. So um, I look back and maybe that was the, the right decision at the time. And you said in in that reply just then that you had been talking to Ben Smith about uh, coaching a bull eye. Uh, had that popped into your mind in, in that year, in 2014? Probably not during the year, but um, at the uh, at the end of the year when I was weighing up what we were going to do, you know, we had a, um, a young son by that time, and yep. the commitment to the Wolves, you know, three nights a week, and again, um, you know, uh, travel across the state uh, every every weekend or every second weekend. So at the end of that year, I certainly spoke to Ben about um, you know some opportunities to, to transition into coaching. I'd done um, yeah, had commenced an aspect of a, of a, of a senior license, which is just a yep. weekend course. Um, and yeah, so I got to end of that uh, that year, and then decided to to move across and uh, and and start coaching with the one. And that was in the youth grade ranks, was it? Yeah, youth grade. And and how did you find, um, apart from the coaching challenges, uh, uh, communicating and and coaching younger people? Um, look, I, I found the transition okay for me. Um, uh, I, I work with people. I'm a people manager at work, and uh, it's really important that you know you're regularly communicating and uh, you're effectively managing and, and giving information to the group. And um, I think uh, I quickly realised that was probably as important, if not more important, than putting on um, you know good sessions and, and having yeah. strong tactics and, and working on fitness. And um, I, I think um, it was good to cut my teeth with the the youth team to help me uh, tweak elements of, uh, of my coaching style and, and, and sort of get myself into a, a coaching rhythm that would, um, uh, you know, allow me to sort of transition to coaching, uh, you know, a first-grade squad. But I found that the people management elements of, uh, of, of my non-football skills um, uh, served me really, really well in, in that uh, in that coaching space as much so as my, um, you know, years playing and, and knowledge, honestly, through, um, through my coaching studio. And was it an easy balance for you that you spoke earlier about when you played under Robbie Stanton that, you enjoyed sessions and you enjoyed the way that they play and, and you would try and, when you did coach, you'd like to play the same way and then balancing what Ben was doing as the first grade and club coach? Yeah, I, th- I think it was. I think, um, you know, you move into any role in your, uh, in your personal or professional or, or sporting careers and you always um, harness elements of experience you have, whether they're, whether they're good or bad. And I think... Um, you know, I certainly did reflect on on the coaches that I'd had and who I thought was successful and what elements of um, you know their uh, their makeup were, were, were successful and, and how I could adopt them in my own game. So for me, um, yeah, I, I certainly reflected on Robbie as a um, as how he structured sessions and how he uh, how his football philosophy was, and that's certainly what um, uh, what I used to shape um, uh, the football first grade side when I took over uh, a couple of years after. And was it a, a, a deliberate transition from the Bulleye Club or the committee to say, well, we've got Ben, um, he might not coach forever, and, and then we've got Matt in youth grade, and, and potentially if Ben does move on, we've we've got Matt in the wings ready to take that first grade spot, or was it more uh, spontaneous? Um, I think it's a combination of both. I think, um, you know, succession planning is really important, and as I said before, Bulleye, um, you know, quite a little place with regards to um, you know they're thinking about you know the long term viability of their club on and off the pitch, which is important. Yep. Um, and it turned out well. You know, I'd, I'd known Ben for a long time. I played with him, and uh, we've been mates for a long time. And um, uh, the, the next step was sort of to, to transition back into 
um, to, to coaching. And, and I thought there was no better way to get a feel for liking coaching or not than, yep. than by taking up a, a youth grade role. And, you know, we had some success. We won um, uh, the youth grade league championship and grand final in the first year I took over. And, um, you know, I, I seemed to transition into coaching relatively relatively well. Obviously, as a player or being a, a reasonably prominent player locally, um, you know, it helped with reputation a little bit with the younger players. You know, they knew yeah. that I'd played with the Wolves here before. They knew that I'd, um, you know, played in that FA Cup game. Most of them were in the crowd and things like that. So um, I think the respect side of things was uh, was really good. The boys bought into it and uh, I tried to bring a, a different level of standard to, to their training and to their intensity and to close the gap between that first grade a uh, youth grade transition, and we had a, a number of boys, um, you know, move between uh, the Pulau youth grade and the Pulau first grade sides um, in those next few years, which I thought was an um, uh, accessible aspect of the club. Yeah, definitely. And and for yourself, although um, winning winning games gets you accolades such as league championships and and other trophies, did you find it more fulfilling to see the development of the individual players from the start of the year at, till? And then at the end of the year, and, and how they had improved. Yeah, look, it's um, it's very different as a as a player uh, from being a player to, to being a coach. And um, there's times where you just want to pull the boots on and get out there and and, and, and do it. But um, yeah, you you you're sort of powerless in a way once once kickoff occurs. You know, you, you prepare the team through the week. You can certainly um, you know, enact some changes during the course of the match. But by and large. Uh, you know, you need to empower the players to um, to make the right decisions in the right moments in the game, and that's um, you know what I tried to do was uh, as a as a coach. So uh, for me, there was no more rewarding time when I did take over the first grade side, and um, you know I brought four boys out of the um, out of the youth grade straight into the first grade squad. And I think if you if you're moving maybe one or, or possibly two a year from a youth or a reserve grade team into a first grade team, then I think you're doing a good thing. But um, I took the chance to, to, to bring four up and um, you know all four um, are now um, playing regularly in, in the Premier League and, and, and they're quite influential players. So um, I think things like that as a coach are certainly um, uh, rewards for, for, for your efforts and the time because as a coach, um, you certainly don't appreciate, um, or sorry, as a player, you certainly don't appreciate the hours that goes into being a coach uh, and to being a successful coach. So 2015 and, and 16 were... As a youth grade coach, um, how did the job in 2017 as first grade coach present itself? Um, I think Ben could coach for as long as he wanted it at Bulleye. Um, but, um, you know, his young family and uh, work commitments and things like that, um, uh, it, it's not always easy to balance, um, you know, the demands of, of everything. And I think um, after five years of coaching, he sort of uh, just wanted to step back for a little bit and consolidate. Um, and, and sort of see what the uh, what the next steps for him uh, in football were, and um, that afforded me the opportunity to step into the role, and um, and that's how it sort of eventuated. We started to talk about it at the back end of the year before, and yep. um, that was something that um, for me it was the natural uh, natural transitional next step. And those uh, 2017 and 2018 years were were huge for the club, um, league championships. Um, but can we talk about? I guess the 1986 hoodoo, and that although I've expressed my opinion about league championships for grand finals, it was really the holy yeah. grail for for the club, um, you know, committee, supporters, players, and coaches, wasn't it? Yeah, look, I'm uh, I'm aligned to you. I think um, you know if you look at uh, the prestige around 
Um, the league championship, it certainly is a major honour, right? You're most consistent over the course of the, you know, the 22, the 24, the 30 rounds, whatever form part of, of the season you're playing in. But um, uh, I'm also a big believer of, of, of one-off occasions and, uh, and the glory and the uh, um, uh, the sense of achievement that comes with, uh, you know, victory in, in those sort of scenarios, so cup finals and grand finals and things like that. It's always one that um, uh, I've really enjoyed the occasion. So the club between, uh, I don't know, uh, mid-2000s to, to 2018, had probably played in um, 10 grand finals, maybe, mm. um, 8, 10, something along those lines. I know it was three in a row <laughs> at one point. Um, I took over as coach in 2017, and, um, you know, we uh, we really hit the ground running. The boys um, uh, really connected with, uh, with, with, with my approach and the way which I wanted to to do things. We spent a lot of work in pre-season um, just tweaking some stuff and, um, you know, transitioning to, to me from, from Ben. Yep. And, um, uh, you know, they, they just hit the ground running. We we won the league um, uh, with 56 or, or something points, which is is just phenomenal. I think we lost one game and drew two in, in 20, 22 rounds. And, and we had to get that many points because Olympic were uh, yeah, two were points behind us, which was, yeah, which is just unbelievable. So Olympic would have won the league uh, in the last 15 years with that amount of points, but um, finished runners up. So we had to be on our point, um, or on point for every single game during that season. And the boys were so disciplined. Um, we never we never had any lapses in concentration. The training standard intensity, um, you know, the buy-in of, of all, all the group was um, was fantastic. But um, we sort of uh, uh, won the league, which was fantastic. And um, uh, we really started the pre-season, so the, the, the finals positively but um unfortunately that um whether it was the hoodoo or whether it was just the one off occasion in 2017 um uh, unfortunately we got beat by Paul Kembler who come uh from fifth in the um in the league table to to beat us on penalty so we didn't concede a goal in the whole final series in 2017 but we still um we still lost the uh lost the, the grand final so that was heartbreaking for the group and I think from a, a coaching uh, perspective, myself and, and my assistant, uh, Michael Davey, Pino, as he's known, he's been yep. very influential in, uh, in, in in the work that I've done with the club in, in the five years I was there. Uh, we sat down and we looked at, um, you know, what uh, what went wrong. And on reflection, um, there wasn't a lot of things that we changed. You know, I thought the preparation was fantastic. Um, you know, the, the year that we'd had, our form, the lack of injuries, um, the minimal suspensions, everything was, was aligned. And, uh, we just strategised and tweaked a few things, and 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 then had a crack at it again in 2018. Yeah, and and I think one of my uh, first couple of podcasts was with uh, Roy Hancock's, uh, uh, right. a, a man of uh, high stature in the area, and especially at the Bulleye Club, and and he said that that 2018 Grand Final win was one of the best things that's that's happened in his life from a footballing perspective. Uh, can you talk about that year as well? Because you've won the league again, which Again, we talk about context, but you know, there's some clubs like Olympic, Coromel, and other clubs that are that are spending amounts of money, and 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 that's fine. But it it makes it difficult for clubs like Bullard to to compete. But to win the league and then then finally do the double, how was it for you as a as a coach and and to see the players club um, enjoy that moment? Um, yeah, look, uh, to, to be honest, uh, the, the three to five days after it, uh, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't recall a lot of it if, I, <laughs> if I'm totally honest. But look, I think um, in all seriousness, at the start of the year, um, we realised we needed um, a, a small bit of additional quality, so we went out and bought um, 
two players in. I'd, uh, one who I played with at the Wolves and another who um, I had some connections with and, uh, and brought into the club. So Mitchell Del Turco and, yep. um, and David Abel we brought to the club in 2018. And that was on the back of having, uh, you know, the likes of Ben Mack, the likes of Guy Knight, the, the two Japanese boys who were fantastic. You know, club stalwarts in, uh, in Sam Davies and Scott Best and these sort of guys who were already... Um, you know, part of the the, the playing group, um, and these two guys just add that little bit of quality that we needed. And um, we talked about at the start of 2018 that um, to win one league championship was tough, but to win two um, is almost impossible. And to do that, you need to make sure um, you know all your uh, all your T's are crossed and all your I's are dotted. Otherwise, yeah, um, you know, uh, you, you don't don't achieve anything. And I think it's hard. It was on our backs from the start of the year, but the consistency and the quality of our football went to another level. And uh, we were even more dominant. I think we only conceded um, uh, 12 goals in the entire 2018 season. So again, we got to 56 or 58 points or something like that, uh, and beat Olympic in the again the second last or the last game to, to win the league title. So um, it was a fantastic achievement. But we went with a different mindset into the final series, and, and without going into too many tactical or strategic details, we looked at um, how we prepare for that final grand final game. We just tweaked elements of. Um, uh, of uh, a number of things around our training, we introduced um, uh, activities to bring the group together to create a uh, you know a heightened environment of of teamwork and uh, and, and 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 sort of reflection on um, you know the reason why uh, the previous year didn't go to plan. And uh, we end up staying the night prior to the game in a okay. uh, hotel locally. We went into a bit of a camp and um, sort of turned off all the distractions um, away from. The group and uh, the boys come together. We had a meal together. You know, we went for a swim together the morning of, had breakfast together, all that sort of stuff. And um, we come out and uh, I had to make some tough calls for, for the grand final. We had a fully fit group of sixteen. I did that, and uh, that was probably one of the toughest things I've had to do. And uh, and then we obviously got the the right result. But you know, we we're cruising at two 0 and and swings and, and and momentum in a game can often happen. And all of a sudden, we're back to two all. I made a couple of changes that. Um, I had to make because of the you know the, the effort those guys have put in and, and and you know the toll they've taken on their body. So we um, uh, we got to two all and 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 you know it was it wasn't looking amazing well and you know our captain popped up and scored the winning goal in you know the last couple of minutes or whatever it was and yeah. um, I've never sort of seen so much uh, you know emotion and jubilation from crowd from players. Uh, the boys sort of run and, and run into a section of the crowd and, and there was a, a massive contingent of white people there. And, um, yeah, from that point on, it was, uh, yeah, lots of uh, emotion and celebration and, and the enjoyment factor in some of the people who had been at the club for a long period of time was uh, was amazing. You know, I got lots of photos that, um, uh, that I've still got reflecting on ties, my, my family, my children. And the team actually got the, the green final trophy presented to us. We got a photo in front of the stadium with the entire Full life face behind us, and it's one that's up in the clubhouse yeah, now. It's a beautiful and it's a fantastic picture. photo. Yeah, you've probably you've probably seen it. Um, so yeah, for me, it, it's massive, mate. You know, I think from a coaching perspective, um, uh, that was that was the pinnacle. League championships were very important, and, and were always the most important thing for me. But because of the uh, the stigma and the history with the club um, around not having won a grand final for, um, and you know it more than me, a long period of time. Um, it was uh, it was a massive monkey off uh, off the comms back, and we certainly celebrated. We basically shut down the Wadoo Bar Cell with people <laughs> um, at at the post match function, and that sort of went uh, went on into the wee hours. We went back to the club, and it was such a fantastic occasion for the for the whole club. For you, uh, even in that grand final, when there's a, a couple of minutes to go um, after um, you scored that third goal, um, was it hard to even as a coach? 
um, and and you're trying to do your best, but you know the history, you've been part of the club as a player the year before. Was it hard for you to control your emotion just for those those few minutes to just finalise the game and, and get that result? Uh, I think it was important to do um, because uh, some some of the boys in the pitch had obviously uh, altered their, uh, their their mindset because we, we caught that goal and, and went to to two all after sort of seemingly having the game in the bag at two nil with, with 30 minutes to go or 35 minutes to go. So um, as, as the, the head coach, it's important to, um, you know, maintain that demeanor as difficult as it was and to, to give the boys the confidence that, um, you know, the game wasn't lost um, as it stood, you know, it was only back to, to even pegging. So for me, it was, um, yeah, it was a really important moment. Uh, we adjusted things slightly and, um, you know, it, it all ended well in the end, but, um, yeah, it was certainly a few tense moments for everyone who was uh, affiliated with the And obviously, we should note as well of the Burt Bampton Cups that you did win in those years and, and, and the individual accolades. And, and you've mentioned your assistant before and, and the committee that um, obviously formed part of you winning IPL Coach of the Year two years in a row. Yeah, definitely, mate. Like, I, my, um, you know, uh, as I said, Pino and Michael Davies been with me for all of those five years. Um, and, uh, you know, we had lots of uh, Jason Hegarty and, uh, and and my manager, Rod Bastian and, and, and Jacob Zankovic. Uh, the team that I had, I had sort of four or five guys around me, all who were very close to me and um, who were, would sort of do anything to, to help out and help the cause. And these guys uh, would almost read my mind. We'd have session plans set out. They'd be fantastic with supporting the team, uh, doing what the team needed. And, and certainly from a Peen's perspective, he'd... Uh, Challenge my thinking with regards to strategy or, or how we shape up against um, you know, different different opposition lineups. So, um, you know, I couldn't be more uh, complimentary of, of those four or five guys. For you, the the next year in two thousand and nineteen, uh, was it sort of a, a double edged sword that you had players go on to the Wolves, um, which should be, I guess, from my personal perspective, an aspiration for all. Premier League clubs to see their players then go to the next level, but also difficult for you as as the coach to then lose core players. Look, from my perspective, it's nothing but positive. I think um, I will always encourage um, the boys to, to play at the highest level they possibly can. It's a great, a great reflection on um, the coach, the team, the club, um, where you can um, you know move players on to a, a high level. So the fact that they dominated for two years in a row and they they had opportunities at that. Uh, Next level, they went on to take it. That next level, you know, the Wolves were so successful in 2019 as well. So it sort of justified the transition that Guy Knight, um, you know, that Harry Callahan, that Marcus Beattie made. But um, it was it was a real um, uh, bittersweet moment for a lot of the guys. So a lot of the guys who who won the grand final the year before thought it was the right time to, uh, to to retire or hang up the boots and things like that as well. So it was a it was um, fantastic to have Rabbi on there in 2018. But in 2019. Losing those uh, six or seven core players was certainly tough to replace, um, and, and the boys that stayed done a fantastic job. And um, you know, I certainly couldn't uh, falter their um, their commitment. It, it was unwavering throughout the, the season. It was just uh, challenging to transition uh, that many players. You could handle one or two, but um, uh, transition that many was was tough. But you know, we, we still sort of remained competitive, and um, we still got a couple of decent scalps and, and sort of finished mid table. And um, the guys. Uh, ended up in the 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 Bender Cup, but um, it sort of got to the point where uh, you know I wasn't going to go around in 2020. I sort of made a, a decision around that, and it was sort of the right time for um, the club to start to prepare for what um, for what 2020 looked like, and that's what 
sort of the catalyst for, for me um, moving away from uh, from the team. For you, I, I guess it was a, a hard decision. You must, I guess, having a young family and, and your partner, you you think about that and, and your vocation in life, although uh, football is a, a nice passion to have. Was that the main main drivers behind uh, stepping down? Um, and, and added to that, I guess, bull-eye in your timeline really now, especially in the latter part of your career, and as a coach, is really your home club. Yeah, look, it was a number of things. I think um, uh, probably probably what I mentioned was, was, was the main uh, the main catalyst that wasn't going around again in in 2020, and um, and yeah, it uh, it would allow the club some time to uh, sort of transition into that that new arrangement. Um, from my perspective, uh, football, as you said, is uh, is a big part of life. I think the my family were probably um, more disappointed and upset um, that uh, I wasn't coaching anymore. My son thinks it's uh, his teams and and and, uh, and and the boys are my boys and all that sort of stuff. So that was um, tough to sort of break it to him and the family that uh, you know we weren't. Uh, I wasn't coaching again, and uh, you know from, from his perspective, he didn't understand all that. But look, it's um, it's allowed me. He's uh, he started to play the game. It's allowed me to sort of. Spent a bit more time at work, which I sort of needed to do, and then also to, to balance that time with um, with the family. So it's uh, it's been great. And what about you for the future? Uh, obviously, over a long period of time, uh, you've been competitive. Um, you've challenged yourself on the field and off the field as a coach. And and al- although you have quite uh, very meaningful things to then focus on in terms of your family and work, do you think there'll still be a little gap that you'll need to fulfil in some some shape or form? Uh, I think there will be in the future, mate. I think um, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, coaching, uh, you know, the first grade uh, temple life for, for the last three years. And for me, um, you know, I, I formed lots of uh, good bonds with the players and I'd like to think the players um, took a little bit of that experience they had working uh, working with me. Um, so there's certainly still aspirations to coach at some point. I think for the time being, my motivation to coach uh, uh, first grade side in the, in the IPL is not there. Um yeah. Uh, because I had a couple of really good years, and it got to the point where the balance and it's a big, big commitment. Uh, it's lots of time, it's lots of effort, it's lots of focus, uh, not only on the training pitch, but in you know, like I said, the, the, the people management side of things, or um, you know, getting across other teams, or spending time watching games and things like that. So for me now, sort of taking on the job with um, uh, the Wolves under under sevens, eights, the, the pre-sap squad, and, yep. and doing one session a week, which at the moment, as you know, is. Uh, is not occurring with the uh, you know the blanket um, ban on on all football, but that was enough for me. Spent a bit of time watching games, stepping away from uh, you know being being aligned to football for probably ten or eleven months of the year. This summer, I've uh, I've got the surfboard back out and, and and been surfing and and got myself in pretty good nick doing a couple of aquathons and, and things like that as well. So it's given me time to to focus on some other stuff uh, away from football. But I still um, you know I still avidly watch it on TV and I still. Uh, talk uh, about football to anyone who uh, is prepared to talk with me about it. So I certainly haven't lost the, the desire for the game. Just uh, just definitely haven't coached it for a little while. When you look back on, on your career, uh, um, and although, like you said, the door to coaching is still open and you're still doing a little bit, um, is there a period there as the as as a player that you you look back at more fondly than 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 others? Uh, look, I think for different reasons, all of them. Um, uh, all of them have uh, have fond memories. Certainly, um, you know, 2008 uh, with the Wolves, the uh, the NPL champion, uh, winning the grand final out at uh, Penn Panthers Stadium was a was a massive one. Um, you know, the, the, the FA Cup with the Wolves was a big one. You know, the grand final victory 
um, as a, as a coach with Bulleye was was a fantastic one. You know, playing in and captaining a couple of successive grand finals in a row for Bulleye, um, you know, were were really important ones. So there's lots of really uh, uh, really fond memories. And if I look at the, the list of, of, of clubs I played with and, and some of the names of players I play with. Um, every, every group was a was a winner, winning group with a winning mentality, and they're all really competitive. So I don't think uh, in any of the years, bar maybe one, that I miss playing in semi final football or, or in final series football, which um, uh, sort of demonstrates the, the, the competitive nature in, in me, and that's something that uh, I don't think you ever lose. And I guess as we uh, finish up, I sincerely appreciate your time in in giving up a Sunday afternoon to to talk to me about one of my passion projects. Um, is there a message that you want to sort of put out there to to people about about um, yourself or or anything else you want to talk about? No, not really, mate. I think um, look, from my perspective, I appreciate you reaching out. I've sort of been retired uh, as a player for uh, for five years now, and uh, in those five years, I've never uh, never reflected on uh, my career, and it wasn't a fantastic career by any stretch. But um, it's always good to. Um, to look back on on what you did achieve and where you did play and who you did play with and uh, and uh, you know and, and and where you did form some of the really good friendships you still have today. So for me, uh, the exercise mate has been a really good one. So I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me. I appreciate you uh, sort of shaping uh, some of the information that we talk about today and what you wanted to see. And it's allowed me and my family to reflect on uh, my career a little bit. But um, yeah, I just want to thank you for the work you do, mate. The podcast is one that I listen to and I certainly see frequently on social media, so you're doing a fantastic job for um, for football in the world, mate. You're doing yourself proud. Well, it's very flattering from a person like yourself who uh, I've watched play and, and worked with as well um, and someone I, I deeply respect. And, and I guess for me, it was a, a, an honour to, to interview yourself. Uh, I think the, the three drivers for me in this interview, which uh, I enjoyed the most, were um, when you spoke of your family, um, you spoke of your competitive streak as well in terms of um, how you always had that desire and that push to, to achieve. And, and as well as that, I guess the, the friends um, that you've made over the years, that's a, a common theme and, and one that you should be very proud of. So, Matt Bailey, thank you very much for, for spending time on this podcast. I appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, it is here where we finish episode 45. Once again, I would like to sincerely thank Matt for the time he spent conversing with me over the phone. As always, thank you for listening and downloading this podcast. I'm your host, Travis. Goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.